You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Revealing Retina, presented by the American Retina Foundation, the charitable arm of the ASRS, the American Society of Retina Specialists. I am your host, Dr. Roy Levitt, Chairman of the American Retina Foundation, and joining me today is Dr. Alan Verne. Alan is one of the founders of the Vitreous Society, which is now known as the American Society of Retina Specialists. He is president of the American Retina Foundation. He practices in the San Francisco area and is a founding partner of the Bay Area Retina Associates. He is a participant in several ongoing studies for the efficacy of treatments of retinal conditions. Welcome to the Revealing Retina, Alan. Today, we're going to discuss in-office testing of drugs and drug regimens. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion in medical and legal circles of the use of private office setting to test drugs in development and drugs in use, both FDA-approved and off-label, and from a dosage standpoint as well as from a drug combination efficacy standpoint. I know that you and your partners are involved in many trial studies, and I'd like to begin by talking about some of these studies and why you feel it's important for this to be a part of a private practice. First of all, Alan, could you talk a little bit about a couple of the studies that you're involved in? Currently, we're involved in several studies. One study is the PDEX study, which is photodynamic therapy in conjunction with dexamethasone in the treatment of wet age-related macular degeneration. And that's a study where we combine uh, dual treatments. As you may be aware, there were single treatments used for wet macular degeneration and people began to look at macular degeneration as a process that may be similar to uh, the treatment related to cancer treatment where combination therapy may be more effective. So we've looked at photodynamic therapy and dexamethasone. We've also looked at Lucentis, which is ranibizumab, in association with dexamethasone as combination therapy. So those are two treatments that we're investigating. Also, we are involved in the Diabetic Retinopathy Clinical Research Network, and that is a, a series of various studies. There are about 15 different arms, and that is the studies that relate to the best treatments that may be used for diabetic macular edema, proliferative diabetic retinopathy, and a host of other things, cataract surgery as it relates to diabetic retinopathy. So, so those, those are some of the studies that we're involved in currently. And altogether, all how many studies would you say you're involved in your practice? Well, I mean, those are the three major studies that we're involved in currently. Several of the studies that have already closed down and we're finished with have been the initial photodynamic study, the initial study with Lucentis. Those are two of the major ones. And uh, where the diabetic clinical research study is got, about, as I said to you, about 15 arms, so there are subsets of all that. And in each of these studies, just approximately, how many uh, centers would you say across the country are involved? Well, that's an interesting question. I can't exactly say it. In the uh, PDEX study, we have several centers. The diabetic clinical research study has, oh, I don't even know, there are probably at least 50 centers around the country, but I'm not really certain about the number. Are there any academic institutions involved? Not on the PDEX and not on the Lucidex study. On the DRCR, I know there are some academic institutions involved. And why are some studies just using private practices? There, there are multiple advantages, actually. One is when you start with private practices as opposed to just academic institutions, you get a different subset of the patient population. You allow the clinical physicians to stay current with what's going on and staying at the cutting edge. You are providing advanced care to patients before it really reaches the marketplace as such. And then also the companies can gain uh, enormous access to the numbers of patients other than those that, that the university might provide. In talking about the drug companies having access, how are these studies funded? Well, 
The studies are funded in several ways. There are two basic types of funding programs. One is the, the institutional-funded programs. So, example, the, the DRCR, the Diabetic Retinopathy Study that I mentioned earlier, that's funded by institutions, and that's funded in part by the National Eye Institute, in part by the Juvenile Diabetic Research Foundation, and there are others. And that's where that funding comes from. It's not from pharma. The second form of funding does come from pharma or the big drug companies, and they fund those programs based on a whole set of criteria, usually based on milestones, patient recruitment numbers, and then at completion of the study. How are drug companies kept at arm's length so that there is not the perception that they are paying for the outcomes? What they do is there are monitoring centers that monitor what goes on with these studies, and these monitoring centers are in part, and the entire study itself is always overseen by the FDA to make sure that these are true, legitimate studies and not skewed. Now, having said that, sometimes the, the protocols are skewed because sometimes the drug companies actually make up these protocols, and so you have to be a little careful about picking and choosing the studies to make sure that they are effective and fair. But you do feel that you know the majority of these institutions that are involved, when I say institutions, I mean private practices, are pretty much at arm's length. Oh, absolutely. These monitoring agencies come in and the, the study coordinators and monitors, they watch what you do uh, consistently to make sure that everything is up and up and that the results are fair, just, and appropriate and in a very scientific method. And do these collating centers, if they see a significant trend, you know, either positive or negative, Will they let all of the participants know so that they can either modify the program or get the news out that this is a very effective treatment and that everybody should know about it? The short answer is yes. What happens is they monitor the data as it comes in, and the data takes a long time to come in. First off, you have to have patient recruitment, and that takes a while, and then the follow-up on some of these studies can take a year or more, and uh, continuous monitoring is, occurs by the data safety monitoring committees of these various collating centers, as you would call them, and as things come out, Sometimes they have advanced notices. One was in the DRCR study where they basically found out that steroids, which were used for diabetic macular edema, and everybody thought that was going to be the panacea for it. They found out that actually the photocoagulation therapy long-term may be more beneficial than, than steroid, which appeared to work in a very short-term benefit. So that information was released early on. They have to be careful about releasing the information in, in, in an appropriate manner because since some of these studies involve medications and pharmaceuticals, this release of information can influence stock price. So the, the, the information generally is controlled and the release is controlled in a way so that it's fair and even-handed. For those of you who are just tuning in, you are listening to The Revealing Retina on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Roy Levitt, and I'm speaking with Dr. Alan Verne, and we were talking about the process of testing drugs and drug combinations in private offices. And we were just uh, talking about the ability to get information gleaned from these programs out to the general public. Alan, I'd like to ask you, being involved in these studies, what does this involve as far as the office is concerned? It certainly can be disruptive in time usage. 
Yeah, well, it is very time-consuming. We spend a, a lot of time dealing with paperwork. We spend a lot of time in recruiting patients. Uh, just as a small anecdotal example, yesterday uh, I saw a patient with macular degeneration. I asked him if he wanted to be involved in uh, a study for macular degeneration, our Lucidex study, which is the combined Lucentis plus dexamethasone study. And he immediately said, yeah, he'd be interested. And what we have to then do, since I'm busy seeing lots of other patients, somebody has to sit down with him for a half an hour or so and explain the pros and cons of the study, the purposes of the study, the risks of the study, the benefits to the patient, and the benefits to society at large. So he is really fully informed, and also the risks and hazards involved although in the, in this study. So it takes quite a while. So we have special people who are dedicated study coordinators for this, and then they're involved with all the paperwork. And then periodically, someone from the monitoring centers comes in, and they spend a day at our office on a regular basis going through our records to make sure that everything is you know, up to snuff and all the T's are crossed and the I's dotted, and we're doing things in an appropriate manner. So there is a cost to the practice to be involved in these studies. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Having said that, the cost, generally uh, most of these studies will then pay the study participants, that is the doctor's offices or the institutions, a certain amount of money bearing those overhead costs in mind. And the important thing here is for the public and the government to understand that you know these studies are done financially at arm's length. Oh, the studies are all done financially at arm's length. Everyone involved in all the study people I've, I have met over the years who are involved in, in clinical-based studies are really interested in seeing what's going on with these various technologies, with these medications, to see what the best treatments would be. And, and I can tell you that as a financial incentive, it's, it's extremely small. It's mostly scientific curiosity and a desire to really advance uh, our specialty forward. So it really is an exercise of conscience. Oh, absolutely. And social welfare. I think most of us have all gone into medicine because medicine is a very positive thing. And I think there is still maybe um, an anachronism, but I don't believe so. Uh, there is a certain nobility to medicine that exists, and I think it's pervasive among everyone that I encounter. That's good to hear for sure. I know that, and you know that, and uh, hopefully the public will be apprised of this. One other question about the studies that you do, Alan. What is the length well, the studies have various lengths. Um, it depends on, on what you're doing, but usually they run from anywhere from a year to two years. The follow-up period, you have to recruit patients, and that can take, depending on the numbers involved, six months to a year. And then once the recruitment, they, usually what you want to have is at least a year of follow-up, and some are even two. Okay, and then these studies, the results of the studies, are then reported how? Well, they're reported in several ways. The first way for immediate consumption by the general medical community or the general ophthalmologic community would be to present the information at various conferences and meetings. That's a quick way to get information out, but it's certainly not as comprehensive a way as, as writing an article. And, but that can take another six months beyond. So some of the information doesn't get out for, let's say, two and a half years. Uh, and all of these things you know, are always monitored by the FDA because they look at these things, and if you have a new drug out there, for example, the FDA wants to know that the study was effective and that it was appropriately done and scientifically done. So you have to have the paper that's written, written in an appropriate fashion as well. So it can take quite a while. Well, it's certainly an interesting process. I think it's a very useful process for the general public, and I would just ask if there's anything else you'd like to say on this subject. Uh, I don't have any. I mean, your questions have really been to the point. 
I would like to just say that, as I said earlier, the, the, the physicians doing these studies, I think, are dedicated to the research that's involved to find the best treatments. Frequently, they're anecdotal accounts of what treatments might work and might not. And so these studies give us some really scientific-based information as to what works and what doesn't. And I would like to also thank all of the patients that get involved in these studies. They do it on the hope that not only can they be benefited from the study, but also they are also altruistic in the sense that they want to help be a part of advancing the science of medicine. Well, I think this has been a terrific discussion. Dr. Alan Verne, I'd like to thank you for speaking to us today. Well, thank you very much, Roy. It was a pleasure to be here. And I'm your host, Dr. Roy Levitt, and I'd like to uh, thank all of you for listening to The Revealing Retina, presented by the American Retina Foundation. We welcome your questions and comments about this or any other show. Please visit us at www.reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and our new podcast features will allow you access to our entire program library. Again, thanks for listening.